Hello and welcome to another alternate media special. We're kind of doing things on a different night tonight, but that's because this is when we were available. Uh, so tonight we'll be reviewing the debate between Sean Griffin from Kingdom in Context and Courtney Smith from Biblical Apologetics that was held and hosted on the Church Splits YouTube channel and moderated by none other than the illustrious Will Hess. What's up, guys? <laughs> How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing awesome. Uh, as per the usual, um, uh, appreciate your flexibility. Uh, my availability has been difficult as of late, so I appreciate you making this work out so we could do this. Absolutely. Thank And, and thank you for uh, making the time to, to be on to do this. Uh, I've, I've done a number of other debate reviews, and this one's going to be a little bit different from my normal style. Uh, because I, I jumped at the opportunity to be able to have the moderator on with me for the debate <laughs> review. <laughs> Absolutely. I actually want have wanted to do so many debate reviews. Uh, I, I just haven't been able to, um, as far as my time allowance is concerned. Debate is a passion of mine. Uh, it's one it's a something in the very near future. I'm hoping within the ne next year, I'm actually going to be able to start participating in formal debates online. Um like what we witnessed on the church split where you've participated in a couple of them as well. Yep. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Debate's a passion um, and it's not an easy skill. Uh, so whenever I give constructive criticism, uh, that's what it's intended to be is constructive. It's never meant to be brutal or mean, unless of course you're particularly egregious, in which case I will definitely <laughs> Be a little bit mean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that, you know, I would say that generally is the goal with my debate reviews also, uh, is even though I, I will typically agree more with one side than the other, uh, I do try and be objective and uh, maybe I'll get a little bit more impassioned when somebody makes uh, an absolutely ridiculous point. And that's that's, I think, what gets me the most is I get mad at bad arguments. Same. Yeah, that that'll <laughs> that gets under my skin uh, quite a bit whenever that happens. So I was very I was very happy to host the debate um, between Courtney and Sean uh, on the topic of is penal substitution or penal substitutionary atonement biblical and anyone who knows me up to this point knows i have a very particular interest in that topic and so for me when i was asked to moderate this i i jumped at the opportunity because i'm like i like to watch the world burn so let's do this and uh, so uh yeah i'm i'm excited for it uh it'll be interesting to review this because i had a lot of thoughts in the debate um i was writing some of them down even uh throughout the throughout the debate which is funny because you'll even see me uh like putting it on there uh like texting and stuff on there um right. so yeah it'll it'll be it'll be interesting so uh first off i, I know and i don't want to get into any of the you I, you me and seamus are like are, are bros like we're we're tight we're we're like it's one of those weird friendships that built was built through the podcasting world yes uh, and uh, it was one of those there's certain people i've like become acquaintances with there's people i'm like no no we are friends and that's how i feel about you and seamus and one of the things is is that i don't want to get too much into it i but i do know that there was bad blood between you and courtney in the past and it was one of those things where i was like well which i was asked to moderate this i was like ooh. But I'm like really good friends with these guys, but I'm willing to do it. But also at the same time, like I, I, I've, I've mentioned, I was like, just so you know, I'm really good friends with them. 
I'm not here to pick a side in anything. Like I'm going to, but yeah, it was funny. So anyhow. Right. Yeah. And uh, honestly, I, I, when I heard that it was happening, I actually got kind of excited because I knew that I wouldn't agree with either of their positions. Same. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be a cool debate to watch. Like it, it'll be, it'll be interesting and it will legitimately be interesting. Literally have no uh, dogs in this fight. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like it, it gave me the opportunity to, to, you know, really truly just objectively decipher, okay, who's making the better argument here? Because like, I don't agree with either of them, but who is making a better argument? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, well, I mean, you know, that's kind of what we're here to discuss a little bit tonight. Right. Um, and uh, it seems like the general consensus from the audience, like in, in comments and whatnot, a lot of people seem to think that Sean won. Um, there are some people, uh, who of course are in the contraire, uh, who believe that like basically Courtney, uh, girl bossed her way through it, which more power to her. Um, I, and my audience was confused. <laughs> so I have a I have a general consensus that uh, Sean's YouTube channel is quite a bit larger than Courtney's platform. So I think that's also where you're going to see more of that come in, right? Because there's also a ratio right. to consider. But the other thing is, like, my audience uh, is either penal substitutionary atonement standard Protestants evangelicals, or they're like me who don't think it's accurate. And so it it is funny because uh, my my audience though was definitely like what this is weird so it was definitely an odd debate for me um i have no ill will against either one of them but there were some there were definitely some things that we'll talk about now here here's the question because uh you have even recently made a post on facebook uh, acknowledging this same thing um which I, I would agree i think kingdom in context is probably a larger youtube channel but i'm not sure who has the larger tiktok channel mm. <laughs> I, I, I actually haven't even checked to, to see who who has the numbers there. Um, I didn't even know that uh, Kingdom in Context was on TikTok for a little while uh, until they, I, I, I think that somebody tagged them in a comment in something that I posted once. And I was like, oh, they're on TikTok. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, but uh, yeah, that that will be a huge determining factor in the crowd reception, I think, because a lot of the crowd that that we get from these debates comes directly from the advertisement on TikTok and kind of the the back and forth that the interlocutors will have prior to the debate mm-hmm. uh, that happens on TikTok. And that's actually, you mentioned something interesting there. So first off, I do plan to get more involved on TikTok because that is taking over in many areas. Um, I've, I've slacked on my, on the church split TikTok. Sorry, anyone who follows us, if you think we still exist, um, like, did they delete their TikTok? No, I'm just lazy. But, um, the, the, uh, the thing that you mentioned that there is interesting was, is that is the back and forth that can happen on TikTok prior to the debate. Because that's really what engaged the debate. I uh, logged on to TikTok, which I very rarely do. I'm not on TikTok very often. And suddenly I'm tagged in this comment section and people are asking me to moderate this debate. I'm like, what is even happening? I don't even know. I barely even knew who Sean Griffin was. And I didn't, I was not familiar with Courtney's work at all. But I like, I knew Sean Griffin's name by kingdom in context. I was like, that's what I knew. And so I agreed to do it and I kind of looked up some of their stuff and um, 
it was one of those things I agreed to, and I was like, sure, let's just rock this thing out. Like, let's just do it. I don't even know you guys, but sure. And some people might say that was foolish, but for me, I say it could be a good time no matter what. But one of the interesting things that I think, and this will probably show come up later, but you can tell in this debate as well, there was previous history leading up to this debate. And I think sometimes it, that, that bad blood came through too much um, mm. and that some of those things were too much uh, kind of depended on in the debate for that background knowledge instead of building it from the ground up. But we'll, we'll, we'll keep getting into all that. Right. And yeah, no, I, I think I can definitely agree uh, on on the the buildup. There, there's a there's a decent level of playful jab here and there, but uh, I, I remember for the debate that Seamus and I did with um, uh, the Black Doctor 21 and Buck Rogers 298, mm-hmm. uh, we set up the debate and pretty much went no contact with each other uh, right. un- until debate night. You know, um, yeah. we didn't we weren't tagging each other in TikToks to to try and instigate you know each other. We just kind of just advertised that the debate was happening, and then debate night we you know we had it out on the debate floor. Um, and I, I'm glad it went that way because given how that debate went with those considerations, I think it, it could have been a lot worse if we had been actually, uh, more engaged with one another prior to. Absolutely. So maybe, and that's something I, and I learn as I do this too, because I want to host more debates. And so for me, I'm like, oh, maybe from here on out, it's like, if I agree to do a debate, we agree, go radio silence and stuff like that. So I'm also learning as a moderator, as I go through. So I appreciate anyone's grace there. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, before we get like deep into the video, cause we're going to bring the video up here in a minute. Um, I know something that probably is important to address is your moderation style, uh, which uh, you and I tend to have a similar moderation style. I found that out um, with the last debate that I moderated, which was my first time moderating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, so it, it, it dissatisfies a lot of people because it seems like we actually take kind of a backseat and we don't do a whole lot of moderating. Um, but there are reasons for that. Go go ahead and explain some of why it may seem that way. <laughs> right. So now that's the thing is, uh, so when I first started the church split, it was all about long, I was very much about like, let's discuss dif- like difficult topics, but then also let's not be afraid to have very long form conversations that, are, that flow and are uninterrupted uh, because a lot can come out in a conversation when that's happening. Uh, either it's if it's an interview, I didn't want it to be heavily edited. I wanted people to be like, I go on the church split. They don't edit me out of context. It's a long form conversation. Uh, if it takes me an hour or two hours or two and a half hours, or if you're like when we had Brenda with God is gray, three hours, you know, so I, it whatever it takes. Um, so in my mind as a moderator and there's plenty of like universities that do the very formal moderation where the moderator is very much keeping everyone on guardrails and there's probably a place and time for that. Okay. Um, but I do not, that's not what I want my platform for it. And so what this happened with my, with your guys's debate versus the black doctor and Buck Rogers, people were frustrated that I didn't jump in, but some very key elements came out during that debate that I don't think would have come out if I had it. Uh, interjected. 
a good example of this during that debate, because for those who do not know, it, the, the topic of the debate was, are we under like the Torah, right? Are, do Christians still have to follow the Mosaic law or the Torah, or however you want to word it? And in the middle of that debate, things were going back and forth. You and Seamus were staying very on the rails. But once it seemed like you guys kept like kind of deflecting at every turn, this Buck Rogers actually snaps and he calls you guys basically blasphemers. Actually, he does use this as term blasphemers in the debate. And for me, that exposes a lot about the interlocutor because I, the situation was allowed to get to that point where someone showed their true thoughts about something and they said something they probably wouldn't have otherwise said if it was being right. very guarded. And so people go, well, why, why would you want that? I'm like, because you need to know who's the honest interlocutors and who are not honest interlocutors. And the if someone is blocking you off constantly while you're trying to have a conversation or they snap like that, it shows they're not objective and it shows that they're, or they're arrogant or it shows that their position or their study is so weak that you probably shouldn't take them too seriously. Because if you're really confident what you're talking about, you're not going to snap uh, like that. You're not going to get you're not going to get overly condescending. You're not going to get overly persnickety. Uh, I'm okay with a playful jab. I'm okay with a few gotchas. But there's a difference between you know that sort of thing, like that can happen in a debate for rhetorical strength, versus outright what I would say misbehavior in a debate. Right. So right. The, my point is here is I will, I, I tell time and then I let them go. When I, when I say it's open discussion, I mean, this is your time to be as uninterrupted as possible. And I want you to notice something as well in that debate. There was a few times, like at the very beginning, I could tell we were going off the rails and I did try to bring up a question from idol killer to bring it back a little bit on rails. And yep. Sean basically said, no, let's move forward. Uh, I want to answer her question, and then we didn't get to audience questions until much later. So once I noticed that there was really no interest in that sort of thing, I just let it go. And I think it actually revealed quite a bit. Absolutely. And and we actually will be viewing, uh, because we're not going to watch the whole debate. It's a two-hour debate, guys. It's over two hours. <laughs> right? So we're not going to watch the whole thing. Um, but we're going to, we're going to go over some select parts that kind of give you a good beef of what the middle of the debate was like. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that, that what you're referencing, I believe is part of, uh, some of the timestamps that I've selected here. Very good. Um, so yeah, real quick before we get in, uh, what, who, who do you have with you in spirit, sir? <laughs> um, I have a beer barrel bourbon. BBB. Uh, it's made by, if anyone's familiar with New Holland Brewing or Dragon's Milk, they actually have a distillery as well now. And this is one of their bourbons, and it's fantastic. Um, really enjoy it. Uh, a friend of mine picked it up recently. We had a, a what we call the vinyl and vibe night. We pulled out our vinyl players, pulled out our favorite records, like a bunch of little hippies. I and, like it. And we just chilled. And Breaking Ben was definitely one of the vinyls, just so you huh. know. I know, I know you're a big fan. Yes. We played the Aurora <laughs> album. So uh, I, knew you'd be, I knew you'd enjoy that. <laughs> yes. Uh, actually, uh, so my wife and I will be going to see them uh, Monday night. Nice. Yeah. A week from now. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be playing with uh, Disturbed and Ginger. So I will also get to see, hopefully, get to see David Draymond sing... Um, Sound of Silence live, and that'll be an experience. That's awesome. 
By the way, I just pulled it up so I could see the live chat. So apologies, guys, uh, for seeing for not seeing that chat originally. <laughs> yeah, I almost, I almost posted up this. So this one, um, this is this is somebody, and this is why we did the debate, right? Is that somebody came around to Torah observance because of that debate, so it served its purpose. <laughs> or, or I like the one underneath it. Uh, that's one heckling us in the comments, screaming heretic. <laughs> 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 thank you yeah guys. you guys are fun yep um and i and and uh, i i guess also an apology is owed right because i know that you get tagged so much on tiktok to moderate debates and it's predominantly from the torah observant community and that's yeah, because thanks, i think after after hosting that debate people got the idea that you were friendly to that position and so now everybody's just like oh he's the guy to moderate the debate I mean, I am friendly to that position. I have no problem with my tour observant friends. In fact, I actually, you already know this. I've already like shifted quite a bit in my own views of, of, of the Torah. So uh, you guys have been a large play at that. So I'm just, I am very friendly to the Torah community. It is just funny how many times I get tagged in these things for with beef. And I'm like, bro, I don't have time to moderate all y'all's debates. Like, I love you guys, but no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're going to open up the, the, to the the debate here uh we're not going to be going over the opening statements just because those are both like 10 minutes a piece that's going to be 20 minutes worth of video watching um so if you could summarize what the opening statements were um you know in, in the way that that i saw the opening statements uh, essentially was Courtney opened up and uh, began describing a penal uh, penal penal substitutionary atonement. Careful, <laughs> uh, that was not penal substitutionary atonement, right? H yeah. Hence the title with the question mark at the end is because so, the, the it wasn't. <laughs> yes. So and one of the things you'll notice if you watch the debate is. Now, I did appreciate her. Uh, she she was very clear and concise and precise in her opening statement. I will say that she she was very clear what her terms meant and what they were. Uh, I actually re-listened to it today and I was still going, yeah, that's actually a really pretty solid opening statement. But she does redefine PSA to a degree. For those who do not know, PSA is penal substitutionary atonement. OK, we're using slang because it's way too much word, verbiage. Um, and she basically does, pulls the NT right with it. NT right kind of defines it similarly, which is like penal, meaning that there's some sort of penalty incurred, not that God punished him, but that he experienced a penalty of sorts. Substitutionary, that it was done in our, the place of, and atonement, of course, making us back in fellowship with God. And then she talks about a vicarious side of it, which vicarious means like as well in the place of, or in the place of another, like, or on behalf of somebody else. And again, for those who do not know, I am writing a book on the atonement. Like this is a, this is a literal pet topic of mine. Uh, it's an obsession of mine. Because once I discovered that penal substitutionary atonement was wrong, at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, it broke my brain and it became an absolute obsession. So plus, because I also mentioned that I just don't believe it's true. I was called a heretic uh, by James White and all uh, other large, like gigantic apologists. And I was like, OK, fine, I'll explain myself. I'll write a book. Um, so now with that said, penal substitutionary atonement traditionally has always taught that God punished Jesus in our, the place of sinners to satisfy his wrath and make him propitious toward us. 
That was the point of penal substitutionary atonement. So N.T. Wright and Courtney both redefined redefined the issue. And I've said it a thousand times. If penal substitutionary atonement simply meant that Jesus suffered in some way um, a penalty, and penalty can be either a punishment or it could be like a disadvantage, right? Like if you suffered some form of a disadvantage due to being in the flesh, then sure, I don't think many people would argue that point. Right, uh, Being killed and crucified is a pretty big disadvantage. But that's not what penal substitutionary atonement historically is. Or I know what, if you want to redefine a historical term, I guess go ahead. But for me, I just muddles the waters even further. Um, so she does redefine it. Then on the flip side, you have Sean. What were your thoughts about Sean's opening statement? So... Sean, I thought, <clears throat> began with a, a bit of a... So it, it seemed a rather basic technique, but it it, it works, uh, which is ultimately to just give a concise history of where atonement theory started and the, the many faces that it took uh, from different people who added their own spin to it until it reached PSA. You know, um, and that his point obviously was to illustrate that this is uh, an idea that was developed over time and not inherently derived from the Bible uh, from the get go, you know, mm -hmm. uh, which I, this is something that even you're familiar with is a, a lot of it goes back to, you know, Augustinian theology. Yep. Um, so I, I like it works, but it it doesn't exactly rule out how it could be biblical. Like yeah, you set the precedents that, that men laid the groundwork for it, but uh, the, these men did read the Bible for themselves. And so they believe that they've derived it from the Bible. Correct. And so I, and I did enjoy the fact that he actually at least did that, a presentation of the history of, because knowing the history of something, I mean, you guys know this as people who are Torah observers, so knowing the history of something really can help, bring out the errors in the thought process um, or the influences of, of it, right? And then, so continuing along that line of thought, um, he then moves into kind of a rapid fire of scripture. And he just starts going this, 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 and Dale, and I'm going to just say Melchizedek. I'm not going to do the whole Melchizedek, okay? Like, I'm going to mess that up, all right? You say I'm it how you Mel need to. Melchizedek, all right? I'm an American, whatever. What do you want from me? And I'm not very good in Hebrew. Uh, so, um, but with the whole, uh, and he was really focused on the priesthood element of Yeshua's death, burial, resurrection, and uh, the idea of him taking the mantle of Melchizedek. And I appreciated that, but I also don't think in the opening statement it got fleshed out enough for him to say that he, uh, in his opening statement, countered why penal substitutionary atonement was incorrect. Right. It, it, it almost seems like a position that could still technically work within the confines of penal substitutionary atonement. That was exactly what my thoughts were through, like in the opening statement. I was like, okay, but I could easily see if I brought if I brought forth a lot of those same passages and thoughts, a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, there was also a large focus on other parts like the cross. And uh, he did talk about not like no human sacrifice in the in the um, 
in the opening statement. I thought that was actually really good because that's starting to challenge and undermine the penal substitutionary atonement view. But I, I felt like that could have gone forward because there's there could have been better because there is a thing with opening statements opening statements um the whole point of them is to establish your position and courtney's job was to establish her position as pro psa and his job was to say i'm against psa and here's the basic reasons as to why right period and i don't feel like that i feel like actually she did a pretty good job there and i don't feel like he undermined her like presented a viable enough position mainly maybe he had more planned he did go over time i allowed him to try to finish his thought because that's another thing with me as a moderator i will let you go over a little over time if it seems like you're landing the plane uh just because right. i'd rather you finish your thought than not because again long-form conversations is my passion and uh i eventually had to cut him off because i was like every time i think it's landing it's not landing <laughs> right <clears throat> And, and yeah, that I, I think, I think it, it probably caught him off guard that he was now having to combat a position on PSA that is not the traditional position on PSA. Uh, so it seemed more like he prepared, he prepared an argument against the traditional view of PSA. Uh, and, and so maybe he, he, he might've felt like the goalpost was shifted on him, but that's maybe that's maybe his fault for not looking enough into Courtney's position. Uh, Cause I'm sure that she's got content explaining her position in more depth that could have been looked into. Correct. Um, Although her position is a weird hybrid. Um, and it does conf for me as someone who studies this religiously pun intended uh, the um, I do think that her position confuses many categories and <laughs> I, I already told her this, like I, I previous to the bay, I was like, Hey, Courtney, just so you know, I am not on your side on this. Like I have nothing against you, but I am, and she even, that's actually why she said she wanted me to do it. Cause she knew I wasn't pro PSA. Um, but what was funny though, I should actually mention this. Um, I was also warned previously before the debate, um, like my audience kept messaging me going, watch out for Sean. And I was like, wow, that's weird. Like, I again, I don't know Sean. I know nothing about him. But apparently he had a reputation of, like, either ambushing people on their own channels or um, grossly misrepresenting people uh, is what the general consensus was. I don't know. I'm not as familiar with his work. But I was warned previously. So I was kind of confused as to how this debate was going to go. Like, I don't agree with her position. But if everything, what everyone says about him is true, then it's going to be kind of funny because I'll disagree with his character and the way he goes about things. But I'll and I'll disagree with her position. And it was just I don't know, it was weird. I was just curious as to how it was gonna go down. So just throwing out some fun fact behind the scenes information there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that unfortunately that's actually becoming a little bit more common in new up and coming pro Torah um, channels <clears throat> and individuals. Uh, is this idea of, you know, inviting somebody to have a friendly discussion and then ambushing them with a debate that they clearly we're not expecting and didn't spend time preparing uh, for. So it's, it's yucky in my opinion. And I, I, I don't support it, but it, it's unfortunately something that exists out there. Um, so anyway, let's bring up the, the actual debate and we'll go through. So we're starting at a point where they've both made their opening statements and this is their rebuttals that we'll be watching through real quick. So I, I think probably we'll, uh, we'll watch Courtney's and, you know, 
break, talk a little, and then watch Sean's break, talk a little, and we'll go from there. Let's do it. All right. Tell me if you can hear it because I've, I've sometimes this doesn't work. So what we're going to do from here is we are going to go ahead and start. Uh, both of you guys will have a five-minute rebuttal, and then we get to cross, some cross-examination, okay? All right, so Courtney, five-minute rebuttal starting whenever you start. All right, so um, I was not aware <laughs> that we would be bringing slides. Um, so sorry, there was no slides prepared. With that being said, uh, I did not hear what Sean actually subscribes to. Now, it doesn't mean that one absolutely has to subscribe to a quote man-made doctrine, but I would submit to you that no matter what Sean says, it's going to be man-made with that meaning that if Sean doesn't subscribe to any of the theories he put on screen, that means he has created a new theory that he needs to tell us all about. And then he would need to substantiate how that is found in the Bible. Again, remember my charge in my opening statement. I charged Sean to be able to prove one, how PSA is not biblical and two, how his own personal, which is what I think he's presenting here, theory of atonement where Christ is currently in heaven, slitting animal throats is biblical. Okay. And again, remember, I said more than just vague implications because I don't even see outside of the Hebrew Bible, which Sean appeals to, and I'm fine with that, but Sean appeals to that. I see no reason to see without a shadow of a doubt that we have a example of Christ where we know it is absolutely fundamentally Christ who is in heaven sacrificing animals currently on your behalf here on earth. Uh, Sean brought up a few slides, although he did not actually mention uh, the scriptures where they could be found. He put them on screen and he blazed through them rather quickly. Like Genesis 4, he said that represents Melchizedek. The only thing in my mind that Genesis 4 would represent is that you see people giving offerings. For some reason, I think he uh, appeals to that to say that there was offerings given before Levi. I think we can all acknowledge that that was so. Again, we still need proof as to how the Levitical standards, the parameters in which the Levites were given by God to operate in is now superimposed onto Melchizedek, which essentially just means my king is righteous or king of righteousness. So we would need to actually actively have a discussion on what he thinks righteous or righteousness is and uh, how he would interpret the etymology of that word. Um, in Isaiah 53, I believe I've seen on one of his, again, he didn't state the actual passage. He just kind of said what he interprets those passages as on, on the uh, side of the slide here. Isaiah 53, he said after. I heard him stress after, but I would wonder what Hebrew word he's using to validate that because I can pull up the Hebrew currently right now and I see no rendering that would uh, give way to his interpretation in my mind that he's trying to lend to to suggest that uh, Christ had to die in order to make it to sit at the right hand of God to then do the mediating, as opposed to understanding the mediating was done when Christ died. Um, so he says that the Torah does not state that humans should have to be put on a cross to die, right? I would, I would submit to you that in the Torah, it actually mentions in Deuteronomy 21. Now, very clearly, I want you to hear me. Deuteronomy 21, 22 where Paul makes reference to in Galatians uh, 3.13, with regards to curses anyone who hangs on a tree. And we know for a fact that Christ took that curse. I do believe that Sean understands it that way. However, 
he somehow then uh, uses that passage to state that each one of us has to be bound by the same treatment that Christ was in order for PSA to be valid, which again, if he would have uh, maybe listened to my opening statement a little more, hopefully I'll hear it in the rebuttal as to why my rendering of PSA is inaccurate and why he would even make that statement. Um, he mentions Hebrews 5 and he ac actively notes that Hebrews 5, there are passages that people that may not agree with his understanding where it actively mentions like the blood of Christ and how the blood and the covenant are linked together and how he would say that that means purity and how it means just that he was pure, he was obedient, and therefore that's what gained his access to God. And while I do believe that that is what gained the access to God, again, that is the mediation part that's already done and we're waiting for our king to return. Um, so he says the father tells 30 seconds. You know, what the, the Levites should do, right? Actively, again, the Levites, not Melchizedek. And Psalm 89 seems to give us a slight rendering on what the father would put on the tribe of David, i.e. the king line that could happen, which is that whips and lashes would be how he treated him. Now, we know that this was not ever done to any Judaic king other than Christ. So there's a lot we could get into here, and I hope that we do. And I hope that he answers some of my questions in the rebuttal and then the cross-examine. We will get into that. All right. Thank you, Courtney. Uh, All right. <clears throat> Thoughts, my friend. There's I, I got a few. Um, so right off the bat uh, with the response, first off, to clarifying the slide situation, um, I was messaged by Sean uh, during her opening statement asking if it's okay he uses slides. And I was like, oh, that never even occurred to me. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, and uh, Courtney took offense to that <laughs> um, and expressed later on that she later on to me that she felt like it was giving him an, an advantage because it looks, you know, it's cleaner. You're, he, while you're saying the word, just seeing them emphasize it just makes it more convincing. Um, which for me and my and here is my issue uh, a little bit with that i did express this courtney afterwards i did tell her it's like it makes it but when you object to it like that um as well it does come off like you're weaker like you're you instantly feel insecure um personally if somebody whipped that out in front of me i just would keep on trucking and just be like all right whatever you can use slides or you're gonna need them <laughs> right right um, Pre present the information and let the information be its own defense right exactly and um, in fact, uh, if they use slides, uh, you can make notes easier uh, to uh, attack your opponent's position. So you're like, oh, thank you for writing it down for me. Uh, so that, to clarify that, and then later on, this is where I kind of was like, uh, I, I it was one of those rocks in a hard place, right? Clearly you have one opponent that is not fond of it. And then you have one opponent that wants to use it. And then Sean was like, I have it in the next part. It's like, hey, I have it locked in there if you want to use it. And I was like, mm. and he's like, well, and I didn't even say yes or no because he just kind of kept going. He just was, he said, he said like he was on a roll. Again, let them talk if they're talking. Right. And then he goes, and well, since we're not going to bring it up. And then he just kept going. I was like, well, you didn't really let me respond or ask Courtney if she'd be okay if you did that. You just kind of kept going. Um, and I'm not going to interrupt you, but the, unless I actually have to, you know that. But, the uh the, so that right there i was like okay so it felt like sean was being petty at that point and then at this point i felt like he just was like all right i'm done with slides and then until the, of course till the end then he goes well can i use my slides and i'm like okay you already said in the middle we're not you're not going to 
uh, like you kind of conceded it and now you're just trying to bring it back and that kind of caused a whole other hair raising situation where she started combating back and forth and so for me it just felt really petty um, I, I don't know like it felt petty in both areas where it's like well let me just keep pushing the thing that I know is making my opponent uncomfortable and then also let me just push back on this because I felt like I was at a disadvantage when really you could just as easily combat the situation if you think that their position is that absurd so it, that my first thoughts were on that is okay right there because I was like that was a lot of drama over slides for me when yeah when it got to that point um definitely thought the same thing now it it, it makes sense because I've I've watched both Sean and Courtney uh before and both of them are very posture based debaters uh in different ways and and by that I mean there's a, a so Courtney especially is very fond of, as I gather, uh, Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Michael Brown is one of the most posture-based debaters that I've ever watched. He is somebody that it, it, he won't really present an argument, but he'll position himself and act like he's winning the debate the whole time, even if in in the in in the weeds of all the words that he's saying you actually realize that he's not actually saying anything he's not presenting an argument but he's acting like he's winning and unfortunately for the majority of people who watch a debate who are not probably educated on the topic being debated they view that as being legitimate right that it's it's the confidence it's 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 like I said, it's it's posturing. Well, and it is um, part of a, is, is a legitimate persuasion technique. Like what the whole point of a debate is not just to hash it out with somebody, but to persuade an audience. And right. what, and and if you're not posturing to one degree or other, um, it can look bad. Like we all, I've no, I've seen people who aren't very good posturers at all, and they're right, and they're not very good at it, and they don't come off like they're right. So in the defense as well, like you, you posture too much, right? You can posture way too much. Like that's what sure. a James, that's what James White does as well. But then there's also like, there's that, there's this happy little medium where you got to be careful how much you're posturing. There's a, there's a particular <laughs> debate actually with uh, Michael Brown and James White, where they're debating uh, Joseph Good and Anthony Buzzard. Topic is the Trinity. Uh, and I bring this up because what you just said is important too. So a certain amount of posturing is important uh, because Joseph Good actually presents very valid counter information to what Michael Brown says, but he does it so timidly that if you don't know that what he's saying is correct, you'd think that he might not be correct. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, when contrasted with Michael Brown's, you know, positioning of like, well, I already won this debate, you know, then it, it really, it, it can seem like Michael Brown is the one who's doing better in that debate. And so in this scenario, uh, I, I can understand kind of where Courtney's coming from. If that's one of your primary techniques is that somebody else has pulled out slides and it's like, well, now they look way more professional than me. And that gives me a disadvantage because I didn't prepare that kind of posturing exhibit to make. And I will say that that's where Sean is a very posture based debater in the opposite way is that it's not so much his projecting that he is the victor so much as his projecting that he is a scholar. Right. right. That's a valid point. Right. Exactly. 
And that's yeah. and that's exactly kind of what I what I felt like. You could definitely so, and it's always fun when you watch a debate on who's the aggressor, right? You can there's usually one person that's the aggressor and one person that's the deflector. <laughs> um, she was definitely the aggressor, one thousand percent the aggressor. Absolutely. Um, and he was the deflector. Uh, unfortunately, um, he I, I, he didn't sh like show her get like she wasn't able to get a rise out of him until later on. And I think when that started happening, that's when the debate started crumbling. Um, but the but anyway, back to her her uh, her rebuttal. One of the things that kind of what like what made me kind of cringe a little bit was again the point of an opening statement is to present positions. And one of the things that she was doing, and I don't know if she intended to do this. She said, you know, remember I challenged him to do this, and I've yet to hear that. And whether she was meaning that to be a standard reminder to the audience of like, hey, this is what I'm asking for. Let's see if he'll address it. And she does say, I hope he does address this. Like, so to, to be fair, toward the end of her opening state of her, of her rebuttal. But the problem was, was that it's like, she just kept saying, as I said in my, as I said in my, and he still hasn't, and he still hasn't. And I was like, this isn't the time for that. That's during the cross-examination. Right. Um, you know what I mean? And so it, it kind of, it comes off like it, it can make it, you come off more like an amateur if you do that. Um, and here's the thing is, uh, there's people I love and respect with Dr. Tim Stratton with Free Thinking Ministries, if you're familiar with him. He's yep. the author of Mere Molinism. He debated James White, and he did the same thing to James White. And unfortunately for him, James White is is a very experienced debater. And now I think he's, like I said, I think he's posture-based. I think there's a lot of issues with his debate styles. But he did know he did call Stratton out like that, and, make, and it, I know it was like, ugh, for Stratton, where he's like, that sucks. Like, cause yeah, you're probably right. You just called me out on that. So she did, did do that. But um, those, so those are my two biggest observations from the rebuttal period was the fact that it was too much reference to the opening statement at, at asking him to have addressed your opening statements and his opening statement, which isn't the time for it. And then of course the, 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 the beginning of the slide debacle. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, yeah, and I know at the same time in the debate because I was, you know, I was active in the live chat. Um, is uh, I th most of the chat noticed it too because there was there was more than one person who who commented in and was like, "Look, that's not the point of an opening statement, right? The uh, the opposing position's job in their opening statement is not to respond to." the affirmative positions opening statement like they both independently make their own opening statements uh so expecting your opponent to respond to your opening statement in their opening statement just is not it's not the way that a debate is supposed to go right um and that's where again uh this would have been a great time for courtney to have called out and been like you know, in his opening statement, he talked a lot about the order of Melchizedek. He talked a lot about these different things. Um, and just so you know, that none of those things are exclusive to his position. A lot of those those very same things could very well be adapted into PSA just fine. Because guess what? People who advocate for PSA, they still believe that he is of the order of Melchizedek, that he is the high priest of heaven. That is something that... It, that most believers affirm because of the book of Hebrews. Right. <laughs> so it was one of the things where I'm like, that would have been a great time. But like, I don't deny these, these areas. I deny this particular part of his view. And this is the, what I'm trying to push because this is why I think penal substitutionary atonement is a biblical. 
boom, just you can align yourself where you can align with yourself. And by the way, that looks great to an audience when you align yourself with your opponent where where you can and then say, but this is where we we are done. And if you because we're talking about posturing, like your the way you are viewed at by the audience goes a long way in your persuasive abilities. And if you come off like you're trying to find zero common ground, uh, it just makes you come off like arrogant and prickly. And I don't think people want and now granted, sometimes there is no common ground, right? And that's fine. Right. That's uh, true. You know, but if you're able, do it. And uh, that was my, my whole thing with, during that portion. I was like, well, you probably should have aligned yourself with a lot of that because I think a lot of it is just true. Uh, I think the biggest issue is how literal is this high priest of Melchizedek being brought up in, in the in the holy place of heaven with Yeshua. You know, I think that would be a better place. But anyway. Right. And and there, there were points that she attacked in, in Sean's argument that... Uh, like on the surface, she she's correct in the observation um, because he did kind of just rattle off a bunch of verses, right, without explanation. And in part, I think he may have intended to explain those a little further, uh, given the time. Um, you know that that that's a lot of the reason he uses slides. Uh, for instance, one of the references that she made is to Genesis, which you know she acknowledged establishes for Sean. Uh, that sacrifices predate Levi and the Levitical system. Um, but she uh, questions, right? She doesn't try to make an argument, but she she at least questions whether or not we can establish the same codified system prior to Levi. Uh, and I I don't I don't think it's really fair to attack a position that a that that an opponent has not really had the time to explain because uh, quite frankly, I could explain a defense from that same verse on that position um, there. And this is something that actually divides even the Torah observant movement is uh, whether or not the Torah predates being given at Sinai. Uh, there, there are a lot of people who believe it does. There are a lot of people who believe it doesn't. I think Courtney falls into the camp that doesn't believe that it predates Sinai. Uh, whereas Sean probably falls into the camp that believes that it does. And there are, look, there are legitimate arguments on both sides. I know where I fall on that. Uh, and that's why I say that this verse in particular is one where there actually is a pretty strong argument to be made that it is based on the same system. Uh, it just hadn't been relayed and isolated to Levi at the time. Right. Uh, and also I do want to make sure I mentioned, speaking of Levi, one of the things that needed to be explained uh, and where Sean, I think, could have done better in his rebuttal and in the rest of the response is really actually breaking down the Levitical system. Um, there is a lot of information there. Like she referred to it as a guilt offering that he, he who has sinned is guilty before God and therefore they have to commit a sacrifice. And if you've read much on what scholars have said regarding the Levitical system, you'll know that the term sacrifice isn't necessarily the best word in our English vernacular, and it really should be offering. Because yes. when we think sacrifice in the Western vernacular, you think I'm killing this for a blessing. I'm killing this to please a God. I am sacrificing uh, my flesh or someone else's flesh to save myself. You know, there is this, the sacri but an offering is a gift, is a giving over. Um, and then also the guilt offering should not be understood as guilt, but rather of purification offering. 
It's not really about guilt. It's actually abysmally translated. There's been plenty of uh, 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 Jacob. I mean, Milgram has talked about this. Um, who is, of course, Jewish. And then you have all the way to Michael, Dr. Michael Heiser, who has also pointed this out. Like anyone who knows anything about that knows the fact that guilt offering is not a good translation. And it's about purification or purgation. And that means like sanctifying a holy place. And so it doesn't really lend itself to penal substitutionary vibes, so to speak. <laughs> so right. I'm going to call that cap. <laughs> and, and well, you know, it... it I love that you brought that up, actually, because, yeah, I, I would say that the sacrificial system is probably one of the most misunderstood aspects about Torah law uh, by not not just your average Christian, but even those who are practicing Torah. Um, and and it, it is for reasons like this, that it is still very much viewed in a very substitutionary atonement way uh, where, you know, uh, so I brought this out specifically to read it for this reason. The Schottenstein interlinear humash, right, at the introduction to chapter four, this is before we even get into any verses and, you know, exegeting any verses rabbinically, uh, the note that they have here, it's quite lengthy, I'm not going to read all of it, but the very beginning of it says, you know, that the Torah is now getting ready to list uh, the offerings that are required to atone for sins in contrast to the offerings of the previous three chapters that a person brings voluntarily in order to elevate himself spiritually. It says, these offerings cannot atone for sins that were committed intentionally. Now, this is this is a subject that comes up later in the debate, which is mm -hmm. ironic, uh, given this fact about them. Uh, no offering is sufficient to remove the stain of such sinfulness that can be done only through repentance and a change of the attitudes that made it possible for the transgression to flout God's will. On the other hand, if the sin was committed accidentally and without intent, no offering is needed. Sin offerings are needed to atone for deeds that were committed inadvertently as a result of carelessness. So it very direct purpose to these and when, when we take that into account, it actually makes it much harder to fit PSA into the sacrificial system. Correct. And well, especially when you realize that too, that there's different offerings for different for different things, right? You have the grain offering, the wave offering, like that has nothing to do with punishment. And honestly, I was actually, I, I was legitimately disappointed with Sean that he did not press that point more. And it's like, right. okay. Uh, the the like wave offering where they're waving their offerings back and forth to to um, to Hashem and thanking him for his blessing uh, the first fruits offering where we're taking the first fruits of of the harvest that Hashem has blessed us with and we are offering it back in thanks well then okay now with that mindset well what what else do we eat well we eat lambs right so we eat food so what do we do we bring this and we also offer it to him and but God is spirit. And a lot of times the idea of holiness is this idea of a burning fire, right? I'm a man of unclean lips that have burned his lips. Like that's the whole, it's kind of that idea. So what do you do to give over meat to God? You burn it um, and you thank him for it. And then oddly enough, different types of offerings where the fat was cast aside or this was fed to them, or it was like a communal thing. Like, I, I, you know, there's peace offerings, so many different things where those not meant to just be, we're punishing the animal. None of it was viewed as punishing the animal. In fact, right. it's actually a very recent, more more recent interpretation that you're punishing the animal. It was always about uh, giving over something very precious 
which what is more precious in an agricultural community than your livestock? <laughs> like, that's same. I will say that, yeah, that was one thing that I, I was surprised that Sean didn't press harder is the there one one thing I did notice in Courtney's argument is that there seems to be a lot of conflation within the sacrificial system between a number of different sacrifices, you know. Um, now she, she made the, the reference we're all familiar with of Yeshua led as a lamb to the slaughter. Uh, and at, at a point in the debate, this is, this is equated in some capacity to Passover. The Passover lamb is not a sin offering. It, it's a peace offering. So if we're using the sin offering or the guilt offering uh, as the tie to PSA, I, it doesn't work for us to be using a peace offering in, in that capacity, right? The, the analogy has to carry through consistently. Um, right, you know, the, the sin offering is a bull. <laughs> Passover, like the idea, like uh, that she had mentioned, um, was that, that it could be passed over. It also could mean transfer. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not the point of the Passover. The Passover that God's wrath passed over those who are marked. And many people have talked about this, but uh, the idea of blood, like a blood oath, is from kind of like an ancient Near Eastern thing that kind of marks a covenant and marks a covenant people. And people also don't realize this. What was the point of killing the animal? Uh, you and I, Marco Polo, about this recently. Um, every single plague, if anyone knows anything about the plagues, each one of them makes a mockery of a god of Egypt and completely shows Hashem's power over them. And then finally, uh, on the last one, you have Pharaoh who thinks he's God, uh, one of the gods, right? And not only does Hashem come for the firstborn, but their, uh, their God who is over children and life, like the beginning of life and molded children in, from clay, was a goat or a sheep or a ram. And so that's why Moses originally was like, let us leave Egypt to do these sacrifices because they're going to be an abomination to you. We're going to be kill We're going to be sacrificing your sacred images because yep. uh, the, 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 these were considered to be sacred creatures. And then Hashem fed up with Pharaoh's garbage goes, take those goats, slaughter them basically before the Egyptians cover your doors, your doorposts with those and all who are covered by that covenant blood. I will pass over. And uh, so the God who's supposed to pre like create life for children and uh, and as a as a goat basically gets shown to be nothing. And people don't realize that, uh, that that is a part of the point there. Like I said, it is not in any way an atonement offering it, it, at all. That's not even in sight. And then I also wanted to quickly touch on, because uh, she had mentioned as well, this idea, and don't worry, we will critique Sean's position more. It's just, Hers is first, so we're dealing with hers. Um, don't want anyone. We're to getting we're to Sean's. Like, yeah, I don't want anyone to think, feel like we're just dogging on Courtney here, because um, she's actually been very nice to me. She's been fantastic. We've actually had a great conversation. No, no, like I said, no hard feelings. But then the idea of the sin transference during uh, Yom Kippur is again the two goats. I want everyone to notice something about the two goats. There's only one offering that you ever hear anything about sin transference, and it is on the day of atonement and that one that has the sin transferred to it, which everyone understands actually is metaphorical, not literal, um, takes it out to the wilderness, which if you know anything about ancient Near Eastern culture and ancient Israel, the wilderness is the place of, uh, of demons essentially. That's why it uses the word Azazel. 
the name yes. of Azazel. That's where Beelzebub is. That is where evil is because that's the pagan nations. That's where the, these evil deities have control over. So the sin is transferred in the sense that they're saying that this sin does not belong here. Cast it out and let it be back unto the devils. And that's kind of the picture you're getting there because it's not slaughtered. If it right. was a sin transferred, then they had to take the punishment. You would kill that goat, but you yep. don't. They cast it out. It gets to live because it's not about punishing the animal in the place of. It's about purification, taking sin and corruption away from the holy place and casting it out where it belongs. Yep. And yeah, so that that's another one that the the live chat actually blew up a bit about when it when it got mentioned. Um because she did mention it as a means of support for her argument. And uh, yeah, I, I think it, it was after the previous mention that we just discussed of the Paschal lamb. And so I, that's one thing that I, most everybody noticed right off the bat was like, okay, so like we're conflating three different sacrifices here to build your case and treating them all like they're the same. And that's a problem because but, they're not the same. Right. Well, and that's the problem as well. If you have this idea that death always is punishment, death equals punishment from God, which is a very standard, like a, it's a become a very popular idea of Christian from Christianity in the West. Anyone who's familiar with more Eastern Christianity knows that's not the case. Um, that, but that's so therefore that's why it gets conflated because something's dying, therefore must be being killed, therefore must be being punished. Um, as opposed to there's other th reasons why someone could die or why you might kill an animal. Yep, we got a comment here from uh, another one of our Hebrew readers. It says, Pesach more specifically means to skip, hop, and could be synonymous with avar, uh, which means pass through, cross over, uh, hence the connection between Pesach and Hebrew. So yeah, Hebrew uh, avar uh, would, would be uh, the root from where Hebrew comes from. And uh, yeah, so I mean, those are some of my, my she also mentions Galatians 3.13, curses every man who hangs on a tree, um, saying that he took the curse. And this is where, this is where I started going, wait, all right, so I heard your redefinition of PSA, right? It's the idea that some form of penalty was taken. Again, if I, I said before, if it's just a disadvantage of some sort penalty, no one really would argue with that. It's the idea of PSA being penalty of punishment, right? Then what curse was taken? right? Who's cursing who? That is, so that's where I'm like, okay, but now your traditional PSA lens felt like it was coming back. Unless, of course, you find a way to define that, which I actually thought Sean did a great job at defining what it meant to hang on a tree and why it was cursed, just because you were actually a criminal who committed the crime. That, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, that being the case, let's actually, because that, I, this is a great segue into viewing Sean's, Sean's argument, because this is, this is one where he actually pushed back and it, it was a good pushback right. on this specific point. So let's bring up the video real quick and we'll start it. By the way, can we real quick address the fact I, their faces, whatever people are debating, it's funny. Uh, Courtney has like this, like highly engaged, like, like constant, like smile and like almost, almost like a mildly smug look the entire time. Like, all right, I'm here to wreck your face. And Sean always looks bored. <laughs> 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 I, I, 
I, I'm not saying it says anything about either one, either one's character, but it's just really funny. Their game face is totally different. It, it, it's so it, it, man, it is. It's like I said because because both of them use the posturing technique differently, and it's like it's like that immovable object, unstoppable force meeting one another. It really is. Anyway, it's a, it's a hilarious observation. I'm sure when I start doing my formal debates online, people are going to roast me for similar things. It'll be great. Absolutely. <laughs> Sean, your five-minute rebuttal starts when you speak. You're muted. That kept Thank cursing you. us. The Thank you so much, time. Will. Actually, I pulled up in the studio uh, the scriptures that she's referencing. So this isn't a presentation slide. It's just the scriptures that she's asking me to address. And it is Galatians 3.13 and Jeremiah 24. I don't know if you're going to allow to put that on screen or not, but um, this is is one of the biggest crux and underpinnings of the PSA argument is, um, well, I'll just read it since we're not going to be allowed to show it anymore. Jeremiah 22.22-23 is a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is executed. You hang his body in a tree. You must not leave the body on the tree overnight. You must be sure to bury him that day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So the reason why that this is, um, and of course, you know, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The reason why this is a comparative statement to some people, to, to people he's already taught the law to in Galatia, um, and not saying that Christ literally deserve the cross and that the, the Torah does not literally prescribe death by cross is because the person in Deuteronomy who was, i.e., already killed, he's already killed, and then his dead body is hung on the cross. His body is not hung on the tree or hung by the tree to death. He's already killed for the punishment, and then his body is shown as a sign to the community that God's justice is intact and that you will be punished even with capital punishment. So again, it's, it's using a quick reference to something in the law to talk about how Christ received punishment for us. He, he, he metaphorically, it's a metaphor pulling from something in the law for Christ's obedience unto death. But there is no prescription anywhere in the Torah that the father accepts any human blood, much less a human sacrifice, much less, prescription of death by cross in order for any form of atonement to be made. So I'm, I am a little baffled that my opponent would say I didn't present anything from, from the Bible or from scriptures that talks about an active ongoing priest in heaven doing priestly duties in the temple. When I had done it, not only laid out the foundation for what the father required for a temple, its furniture, utensils and requirements is, but also for a man and what they do according to scripture. Um, and so, yeah, that, so if we have, a son of man who's been prophesied to come and be a high priest, then yes, after he's dead, that's when his priestly appointment happens when he's ascending to heaven. This is what all the New Testament tells us. So this is why I try to put on the screen um, all these things to kind of run through as quick as possible. A couple of notes on some of Courtney's opening statements uh, that I wanted to put forward is that, um, you know, Courtney, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but she mentioned that the, the lens of her view, you know, uh, her specific view goes through, the Garden of Eden and the sacrifices per the law, um, and I agree. Isaiah 53 is is right and com- metaphorically comparing Yeshua to a guilt offering, um, but um, but that doesn't literally make him an actual sacrifice that's accepted in a temple manner by the Father for atonement. He then he would have no reason to become a high priest forever if all that all that propitiation was already completed. 
the propitiation by definition of the Torah is through a temple with a priest under all the right requirements. Yeshua and the Father's house in heaven fulfills all those requirements perfectly post-resurrection. And so I, that's why I would strongly disagree with the hermeneutical lens by which Courtney um, is somehow, uh, I haven't really heard fullness, her lens and how she does that. Um, she also believes that the punishment in Christ has gained better access to the Father. Uh, I put on screen Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, which directly in my opinion, would refute that idea that it was his obedience that gained him his priesthood. Um, and yes, he learned obedience by what he suffered, but it wasn't the punishment that was intended specifically, like the, again, because the father doesn't require punishment of a human by torturous death on the cross at the hands of his enemies in order for atonement to be made. That's not the process for atonement. What gained him access to the first resurrection, which gave him his new incorruptible body that allowed him in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 to ascend through the heavens to the temple in heaven is the first resurrection body. So if we're talking literal access, he needed the right body. If we're talking uh, spiritual access, he needed the right heart. And so this is, he did, he showed that right heart. Through obedience. Um, also, it seems as if she is using the, the animal substitution concept in uh, scripture, as far as like an animal's brought forward um, in the in the law, and she's using that to say that was a substitution, and then compares it to Christ's death as a substitution. But the animals that were brought forth in law is not all animals for substitution for atonement and for and for offerings. I mean, you had sometimes grain and wine, and um, you know it wasn't specifically this idea that uh, the animal alone. It was a process of a bunch of things. Like I said before, even sometimes when the right animal was brought, the offering wasn't accepted because the heart was wrong. And so, um, thank you. Sorry. All right. So, yeah, he does a good job at pushing back to a degree, but then there's things that just make me still twitch a little bit. Um, but, okay, first off, his whole point is that he takes the idea of the high priest being extremely literal with Jesus. Very. To Very. the point of where he is in the heaven, heavenly places, in a heavenly temple, doing sacrifices right now. Um, or at least during the holidays, right? Or like, uh, you know, whatever, but according to the calendar, so to speak, not maybe right now, but, um, but then he says that the guilt offering was, was this idea of metaphorically placed on Jesus. And throughout the rest of the debate, he says, all of these other things are metaphorical pictures. And this is where I was going, Courtney. It's right there. Go for the jugular. Because if he, because the her, she really takes issue with his position that Yeshua is committing sacrifices in heaven to animals, which I understand because there's also presumption that animals are even in heaven. There's a lot of, there's a lot of presumptions that are being made there. But the weapon there is why is it then, because he kept asking her throughout the debate, can you show me when the idea of priesthood changed? When did the, the laws and the duties of a priest in the priesthood change from Old Testament to New Testament? Can you show me when those ever changed? No, then therefore he must be still doing what a high priest does. Strong argument. Until you start saying that all the other language regarding Yeshua's death and burial resurrection was all metaphorical. Like, oh, right. he metaphorically connects him to a guilt offering, metaphorically connects him to a first fruits, he metaphorically connects him to it. Then why is it not metaphorical too to when he, it's calling him a high priest in, in heaven in the holy places? there's there's also a hermeneutical shift that's happening there for people who aren't paying attention to it. Right. Right. It's, uh, it, it, it's funny that something very similar happened in the debate that, that I moderated, uh, this past Sunday, 
um, where it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to hold you to this standard, but not myself to this standard, you know? Um, and uh, the one, one interlocutor was, was accusing the other of taking literally names that are titles and then in the very next breath insisting that names that are titles are in fact literal. Hmm. It, it, yeah, it, it, it was a whole thing. I'll end up doing a whole review of that debate also, but that this is kind of a very similar scenario where it's like, well, no, what you're talking about are metaphors. What I'm talking about is literal, you know? And that's right. and like, like you said, that's like, that's like, that's a gut punch right there. If you can actually spot it on site and go, okay, why is it metaphor when I'm using it, but not metaphor when you're using it? Right. Why is your position the one that needs to be taken literally here and not mine? Right. Um, so that, that was a blunder. Uh, and that's a blunder in his position. I still think it's a blunder. I think it's a giant hole in his position, honestly. Um, and so this is what, that's why I said this debate was really interesting for me as a guy who's like, I have zero dogs in this fight. Right. Um, so it allows me to a little bit, I think, be a little bit more objective. Um, also, when he says like, oh, I, I presented all these things and uh, I'm just baffled. That is right where I would say, um, I originally thought it was during the cross-examination that things started going wrong. Uh, I, I thought it, I originally thought it was... Um, Courtney, who originally started getting condescending and causing a problem uh, when I when I first was moderating. But now when I rewatched, I was like, oh, wait, no, I think this is where the bad blood began because he just he instantly acts offended. You know, right. I'm just baffled that you would even say that as opposed to go. No, I did address these, you know, just being professional. These are, these are my positions on those. Um, so maybe you misunderstood my point, but X, Y, Z, because one of the things that Sean is one of the things I do like is that Sean he doesn't like raise his voice a lot. He, he kind of just, he stays like at a very even tone. But one thing that Sean, uh, Sean does that, um, is the fact that he kind of will make those jabs like that subtly throughout. And it can definitely get under an opponent's skin if you're not careful. And, um, so he, that was something I didn't like right out, now that I've watched, I was like, okay, there is, that's actually where I think, the bad blood began in the debate. Cause if anyone knows the rest of the debate it becomes a cat fight later on. So oh, yes, um, I eventually just had to be like, all right, shut up. We're moving on. <laughs> also, you'll notice that in that rebuttal, he mentioned the slides and his discontentment with the situation like three times. And yeah. that instantly was like, okay, dude, you already know your interlocker doesn't seem to appreciate it. Just move on be professional. Right? Like, you know, and I, I was, I, I'll take, and I said, I took the, I took that responsibility. I was like, I didn't even think about it. I, that didn't cross my mind. I have no problem with slides when people use them, so I didn't think it was a big deal. I said that even in the debate later, and then they kept wanting to have, fight over why they should, why they shouldn't. So we see that. I was just like, Sean, move on. Like, <laughs> um, And then he, what was it? There was, there was more when it came to the, the high priest situation, but now it's escaping me, so. I don't know why I just brought that back up. <laughs> oh, you're good. Uh, what were your thoughts on that uh, in his rebuttal? No, de definitely along the same lines um, there. Now, he does speak very direct in kind of a monotone, you know, um, very pointed, very emotionless. Uh, and, and at times that can be a very good thing. Um, but when the only time that you do show any kind of emotion in what you're saying is when you're going to make a statement like, well, you know, I'm, I'm baffled that my opponent would. It's like, OK, well. Yeah, that 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 was a that was a jab that probably wasn't expected, appreciated, or necessary. 
you know, because um, what, what it does is he's undercutting. Right. It, it sounds like he's undercutting character there. Right. Right. And it, now it may have been anticipation of because they again, they are both very similar, but in such different ways, uh, <laughs> because he if you watch any of his debates, he will do stuff like that. Like he'll he'll make those kind of jabs, uh, whereas Courtney doesn't make those kind of jabs so much as she just talks down to your position, right? Like, like it's stupid to believe that position. Uh, and so it's not, it's not exactly an ad hominem, but it's just shy of being an ad hominem. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's so actually that's one of the things I wanted to address because it, she kept saying like, you know, he's slitting animal throats in heaven and she just say it like it's an absurd, absurd claim. And even though I agree, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, yeah, I don't, I'm with you on that one, Courtney. Um, I don't feel like she did a good job at presenting why it's absurd. Um, right. And, but here's what's funny. If you notice this part of the debate, it doesn't, this is where the debate also shifts away from penal substitution. It's not yes. about penal substitution. This debate is not about penal substitution at all, at all. Like no. it just, because what happens is that you can tell that Courtney really has issues with his position. She wanted to debate him on this position. So she wanted to take the affirmative that penal substitution was true. So what she does is she just decides that a good defense is a good offense. So she just goes and attacks this position. She really has beef for this position and she wants to keep like putting it down, right? This is ridiculous. It's dumb. Why are you doing this? And Sean really doesn't seem all that interested in fully responding to PSA either. Cause he, a lot of times does, he, he wants to park on the priesthood constantly, which right. I get because there's legitimate things to talk about there, but he never showed it in a way, uh, I felt where he really, uh, showed how his position destroys PSA. Right. Uh, so it felt like he's, it's, it's weird. Cause I felt like a script got flipped where he's because he's supposed to be attacking PSA and her defending it, right? She's taking affirmative, he's taking negative. And then what ends up happening is he, there's like Sean Levitical atonement theory, and then you have him defending and her attacking. And I was yes. like, what, what is happening right now? This is not the debate that we were supposed to be having. Right. It, it became more about attacking Sean's position than defending PSA. And I, I, I think... I think probably a lot of that could be because even even within his opening statement uh, and then also his rebuttal that we just watched, right? There, there was more of a defense for his position than presenting why PSA is wrong, right? It, it wasn't really disproving PSA so much as trying to just submit an alternative that I think is a better alternative, you know? And and that like that's cool, but you're like you're there to prove one side wrong. So like stick to that, prove that side wrong. Uh, and I, I think that he, even, even in this endeavor of defending his own position, uh, to start with, I think probably a precedence of the, Hmm, how to word this <laughs> to start with a precedence of, the priesthood in its mirroring what is in heaven 
would have been the best way to begin. Instead of just submitting the position, maybe begin by laying the foundation for that position because that would have been a much stronger position to argue from. So it's, it, you know, the, the idea that, look, God told Moses, okay, build it according to the picture that I've shown you. So Moses clearly saw what the temple in heaven looks like. Um, and you know, there, there's a number of other, we're, we're even told, right. That all of the temple processes are a shadow of the, the things, things that are to come. Right. So there has to be some level of relation. And I think that that was probably one of the weaker points that could have been attacked in Courtney's, uh, rebuttal to it is she seemed to be, uh, well, she didn't want to take a hard position on it, but she, she very much wanted everybody else to be questioning any relation between the two. Right. Well, and uh, one of the other things I wanted to make sure I mentioned was as far as uh, where another swing and miss happens, in the, which is why you could tell it wasn't about attacking PSA, which was he, he, his flippant use of the word propitiation. The, so the word propitiation uh, is oftentimes, it's really only found in the New Testament. Uh, translated really, and that's the ter uh, Greek term helasterion or helasmos. I've talked about this on your program before. And, uh, but it's the idea of mercy seat, the place of atonement or propitiation, which means to satisfy an angry deity. And that never gets fleshed out like the nuance there. Uh, right. when, the, when the New Testament uses propitiation, it uses it as a noun, not a, uh, a verb. So a noun would be a place, like a mercy seat, not a th an action like a verb like a satisfaction of angry deity so these are th that's an important and i was like oh you know that was a swing and a miss and then also i never felt like they properly dealt with what is atonement which is kipper it's like there's two there are two ways to take it and both i think have biblical merit kipper being the most simple one which is to cover which is of course like we see the first time used on the ark when it covers uh, covering the ark with pitch so this idea of a covering of your uh, a covering over your shame and um, getting new clothes for the king, and we, which we see that's a continual theme throughout the Torah and the uh, prophets. But then there's also it's the root is it from the Akkadian word meaning to wipe or to cleanse, and so neither one of those deal with satisfaction of an angry deity, nor does it deal with uh, uh, someone having to incur a punishment for any form of satisfaction or to endure any form of curse. So in the Hebraic mind, I don't think there's any justification for her position. And it was one of those things where it's like screaming at me the entire time. And this is, by the way, anyone who's argumentative and loves this type of stuff, this is where moderation becomes very, very difficult. Yes. Because <laughs> you have to shut your mouth and you're like, no, ah! and you're just like, internally screaming uh but you're like keep it cool man you gotta be a professional <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah no Su sunday was sunday was a difficult day for me there were so many points where it was like and i and, and, and you want to speak and you're like this is not my fight <laughs> right this is my debate i'm i'm the mediator my job is to be impartial <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, I, so I think probably one of the biggest, one of the biggest weaknesses, and this would have been something again, that would have been an absolute haymaker if Courtney had grabbed hold of it because it, it, it Sean's position in a way gives her the bat to beat him with. And that is that it is still predicated on the basis of the sacrificial system being 
substitutionary atonement. Just not here on Earth. Now, the, the location has changed. That's the only thing that's changed. Yep. And Pretty it's... Much. You know, it, it, so... It, and that, that, I think, is why you and I are in agreement when we say, look, there's... Like, his view can technically still fit into PSA. Right. You know, is, is because it's still predicated on the same the same foundation that PSA itself is built on, which is a misunderstanding of the purpose of the sacrificial system. Correct. And that's, and that's where for me, it's like, well, yeah. and, and if it's like, okay, well then, and cause no one ever addressed this and Sean never addressed this either. Why did Yeshua have to die? Cause he's like, well, no, it's his obedience, not his death, but he never addressed why he had to die. Courtney's position at least has an answer. I disagree with the answer, but it has an answer. Right. Um, he never really answers that. And so he just talks about, you know, again, his obedience and him as a high priest. And it basically talks about just like obedience to death. So, so but why I, did he have to die? Anyway, I will say, I will say this because I was listening to it again last night. Uh, and I decided, okay, so a lot of what both of them are talking about here is discussed in Hebrews. So let's just go to Hebrews and open up and start reading as we're listening. Uh, and he, he does give, I, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a very good answer, but he gives a, an answer as to why Yeshua had to die, uh, which is essentially because it was prophesied that he would. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so it's like, okay, so, and even if we read Hebrews, right. Hebrews pretty much agrees with that position is that it was prophesied that he would. So he did, you know, um, but Hebrews nine in particular is one that I, I think both of them could have used, but both of them didn't use because Hebrews chapter nine is cancer to both of their positions. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Also, by the way, Charlie tell mood factory down there, uh, uh, says, I don't agree with either of them. However, I will say Sean is better behaved than his opponent. I have talked to Sean before, and he was kind to me. And I'll say this. He was kind to me, too. Uh, I, and I still have no qualms with him. But um, I'm actually, the, so this whole part, part is supposed to be constructive. I think I mentioned that at the beginning. Constructive criticism. Like, let flesh out your positions better or shift them. Um, that's okay. Uh, yeah, the... Just in general, I th felt like, yeah, Hebrews definitely, like you said, it kind of fleshes that out a little bit in a further details. Um, and I don't think either one of their positions became abundantly clear. Um, and I think it's, there was a lack of precision. It almost made me wonder to a degree if, and I, I mean this with no amount of like hatred uh, or, or like I'm better than you mentality or anything like that. But I was like, are are, were these two yet qualified to have a fleshed out discussion regarding this topic? Because when it comes to a lot of things that Sean could have brought up against Courtney's position, that very obvious ones weren't brought up. And then Courtney, the same thing, where it's like, okay, there's a lot of, I, you would have been more precise if you knew the differences between some of these things. Um, because there's people who do know the differences between those things and they still hold the penal substitutionary atonement. Right. Um, and they can actually argue it for much more precisely. Uh, see Dr. William Lane Craig. I read, read his book. I wasn't impressed because I just don't believe it's true, but and there's a things I had issues with it in his book, but he does a very good job at, at arguing for his position in it. You know what I mean? Yes. So I don't know. It may, I don't mind that. That may sound more condescending than I wanted it to sound, but the point is, I'm just like, oh, I'm not sure if we studied this out uh, enough to be able to 
have that conversation. Right. Yeah, no, there, I, I will say that there, there's something to that. And I, I've gotten involved in debates myself where, uh, it, it wasn't until I was in the debate that I realized that I probably wasn't really prepared to talk about all of the specifics of that topic. Um, because I, I didn't know all of the specifics. I hadn't familiarized myself with all of the angles, uh, which m my opponent did. And uh, I I'll say, like, they made a better argument than I was able to make at that point. And that is due to my own ignorance. Now, I'd probably give it another go now that I have had the time to look over all of the other angles at it. Um, so we'll see if maybe that happens in the future. But but yeah, I... I definitely understand the concern. Matter of fact, there was even a, a level of concern voiced to me by not many, but a handful of people over, again, the debate that I just moderated. It was like pe people would reach out and be like, look, are, are either of these people really qualified to discuss the depth of this topic? And that that's the point where, you know, of course, in, in that debate, and if you go watch it, it's uh, I, I think it, it, it went decent um you know it, it, there were times where it turned into a bit of a dumpster fire uh but all debates do at some point for a brief period um that's actually what uh, let's be honest that's what a lot of people are there for the debate they want to see they want to they want to see the flames they want yeah they do they're just like <laughs> let it burn you know there's, there's a few people very few people who are like no i want to hear the arguments i'm making diagrams <laughs> i'm one of the people with the diagrams like no stop fighting i want to know things <laughs> right and uh, so one of the interlocutors does have a, a master's degree in biblical studies um, the other one is, you know, like myself, who is primarily self-taught and hasn't had any formal education uh, in theology. And uh, that explains why you're dumb. That right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Seamus is the brains of this operation. <laughs> With a beard like that, buddy, you're going anywhere you want. You're fine. Right. That's Keep and, and that's that's the main thing. This this <laughs> like I always say this gives me plus 15 in wisdom points. So, you know, roll for initiative. <laughs> oh, but uh, but yeah, uh, that being said, though, I do think uh, that they the interlocutors were relatively evenly matched. And I would say the same for this debate. Actually, I, I, I think Sean and Courtney were pretty evenly matched in maybe in in spite of or because of uh, some of the lack of familiarity with all of the specifics of the topic uh, that we just talked about um, is it's 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 one thing to have two people who know it inside out discussing with one another and it's another thing to have people who are only tentatively familiar with it discussing it with one another either way it's evenly matched right which is why actually one of the areas again with Sean where he kind of missed the boat so he talked about God not accepting human sacrifices, which is true. Um, so Hashem does not accept human sacrifices in full agreement there. He also uh, talks about, you know, the cross issue, which I'm like, yep, I am in agreement. But one thing he never really gets into is, is it really okay to punish the innocent in the place of the guilty? Right. And um, Ezekiel 18 addressed this. She has addressed this with me particularly on TikTok, where she thinks that Ezekiel 18 is basically about the future. So when she parallels that with Jeremiah 31 and saying that's the new covenant, so therefore this is when the, the, the basically the restored creation happens, this is the future, that the son will not be punished for the deeds of the father and the father for the deeds of the son. And my biggest problem already with that, because she is a Torah keeper, 
you are a Torah keeper. I'm like half in, half out. Uh, <laughs> uh, Getting your feet wet. <laughs> yes, I, I'll, I, I'm like, my current position is just like, okay, um, I think Acts 15 makes a Noahic, uh, like Noahic law case for Gentiles but it also does not discourage the rest of the Torah keeping. But I'm also like very, everyone knows this. I'm like very open to it and, and very much like, well, it doesn't hurt to just do it. <laughs> um, so like whether you think God's so. I'm not going to curse you for it. Right. Like it's like, God's not going to punish you for not eating bacon. Okay. Like it's, it's okay. Anyway. So, but she's a Torah keeper. And so using the Ezekiel 18 as future doesn't, quite jive with me because the whole point of Torah keeping is that God's law never changes because that would mean that he changes. So therefore, if it's that way in the future where the father will not be punished for the deeds of the son because it's unjust, then why would it be also now or in the past? And then on top of that, it's like, okay, but then there's plenty of other scriptures outside of Ezekiel 18 that uses very plain language that says, you know, so whose sin shall die. I will, you know, um, when Moses is like, hey, well, if you punish all of Israel, aren't you? And he's interceding on Israel's behalf. And he's like, hey, look, uh, they, uh, these other nations will say that God, that you visited the sin of the fathers unto the son and unto the next generations and blah, 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 blah. Please don't do that. And it says that God like, you know, shifts from, from, from what he was going to do. And it's like, there's a lot of areas in scripture that talk about not punishing the innocent for the in the place of the guilty. And I felt like he never quite got to that because even though yes, human sacrifice was not, but if you understand PSA, you also understand this, this idea that he had it to be punished or take a penalty of some sort for mankind, even though he was innocent. Okay, well now you have to talk about, is that right? And then don't even get me uh, started on the Isaiah 52 and 53 conversation. I, okay, you know, I, we're going to get started. I'm sorry. I'm ranting, Brad. I apologize. Hold on. Hold on. Wait, I've got something okay, for that. Okay, go. Go. Hold on. Where is it? Where is it? Wait for it. I'm waiting. Okay, go. That brings my that brings me so much great so much joy. I, I almost have a tear. Okay, so Isaiah fifty two and fifty three. So Isaiah is composed. It is not talking about the suffering servant being punished in the place of everyone else. It is not talking about punishment at all in that entire passage. The whole point of bearing with somebody. Brad, have have you ever suffered before? Oh, I'm yeah. sure you have. Yeah, of course. Has we're, have, we're human. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm going to guess that you've suffered through some things and Seamus has been your buddy through it, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Did he bear your burden with you? Yes. Okay. Did he receive your burden literally? No. No. So he bore your burden. So he, in other words, he came alongside you and bore your burden. So yes. when Yeshua bore our sins and our iniquities, does that mean they were transferred to him? No, he bore them. And so Isaiah, 5, Isaiah is composed of four songs. Anyone who knows this knows that. And Isaiah 52, 53, that entire section is about Israel. And it's like the onlookers looking at what is how Israel is suffering, right? And now with that lens, actually, you can see how Yeshua really plays a great parallel with the prophecy. But it's funny because in Matthew chapter 7, we see how we're supposed to interpret that entire passage. <laughs> He, when he healed people in the New Testament, what did it say? And he's like, this is to fulfill what the prophet said, that he bore our sicknesses 
and healed our diseases. Bearing our sickness, when he healed people, he did not bear them and have them transferred to him. Just like when he bore our sins, he did not have them transferred for him. JD made the great point is because the Hebrew says because of, not yeah. for, or yeah. on behalf of. And I say this all the time, you, can, you keep your for language. I could die for you without being your substitute. A, a soldier dies for people, but it's not their substitute. It's right. a heroic death. It's why we find martyrs to be such powerful witnesses because they died for the cause, not in the place of the cause. Um, so this whole thing, Isaiah 53 absolutely drives me crazy when people keep using that as like a penal lens, when Matthew seven absolutely tells you how the new Testament is, is actually interpreting that, which is the idea of bearing with and healing. It's all about lifting, uh, mankind up to God, those who are suffering and healing them despite being surrounded by enemies. So those who are faithful to Hashem are going to be surrounded by their enemies and he lifts them up and he bears their sins with him and he heals them. Hence the resurrection, hence the new creation, hence why we partake in the resurrection, and he is the first fruits of that resurrection. <laughs> Parallels. <laughs> and rant. I'm done. I'm okay. All right. Capping that there. Yep. <laughs> no, but yeah, that so. And I think that that actually fits in pretty well with the whole synopsis of of Hebrews 9, which, like I said, kind of works against both of them in a little bit. Is there, I got to reading it, and I'm like, okay, all of the places where like she might reference uh, the necessity for Yeshua dying, right, that are spoken about here, it's like, well, uh, yeah, they all say that he has to die because the prophets said that he had to die. None of them say that he had to die for sins, right? Uh, one of them does mention that repentance of sin would be a result of this, but it, it doesn't say that it was for that purpose. Correct. Uh, while at the same time, Hebrews 9 also references the entire temple system and the sacrificial system and basically says, yeah, that's for this world, not the world to come. So it, it kind of destroys Sean's point in that capacity also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I think probably both of them could have maybe done a little better to reference that passage, uh, especially as it ties into the Isaiah 53, as you've just presented it, uh, which was beautiful, by the way, <laughs> I'm here to serve. Oh goodness. <laughs> um, um, but I don't want to keep you too much longer. I, I had hoped that we, we both we're long winded and we talk a lot. I wanted to get into some of their uh, cross examination questions back and yes. forth. Um, but that might go another entirely too long. So we can probably cut it here, man. And uh, and I can do that independently. Or if you want to come back on at like a later date down the let, road we'll just like let me know where you're doing it if i could join you i will um i did want to make sure i mentioned a couple of things real fast as well uh and anyone who's observing sorry uh, do you have to go right right away no 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 no, oh, okay, no okay, not okay, at cool. all all right cool um because one of the things that as well uh it kind of gets into a spitting match uh mid-debate i actually thought the opening statements were pretty well done like 
uh, despite, like I, like I said, I thought actually Courtney's was really well done. Uh, Sean's was long-winded, but I was like, this is actually really good. I kind of wanted to keep going. Um, but it's right once they start interacting with each other that you start to see the slow descent, and then finally it just crashes into madness. Um, and what ends up happening, and this is where I f feel like Sean really kind of, uh, even though like she was becoming very pointed and direct and punchy, um, this is where I felt like there was a hypocritical moment, uh, pretty harshly on his part. First off, remember, this is the guy who said right off the bat, I'm baffled that my opponent would even do this. Right. Then he goes in the middle, he's like, yep, uh, by the way, I want to address the audience real fast. This happens every time I debate. And he does this moment where he he reframes the debate. Um, and by the way, framing is powerful. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, a fr framing is powerful if you know how to frame properly. And he starts framing and says, this happens all the time. My opponents just do this and this and this and this. And, you know, woe is me kind of like this is just what it is. You know, these people just can't answer me. And I'm just the little, little victim here who um, is always misrepresented. And then when Courtney pushes back and like slides in a few other spots, he's like, we should have prepared better. Stop playing the victim. And I'm not going to lie. I almost interjected because at this point I was like, oh my goodness. Like, okay, you're not in a position, right? Because you've also done this up to this point. So my, the whole general idea now, Sean and Courtney, if you watch this, uh, which I'm sure it'll make its rounds, um, that is always just a bad look. Don't reframe to the audience. Okay. The audience isn't blind. Don't, I say all this all the time. Like I, I try to think that my audience is smart. Right, and they can see what's going on. So if you think that they're misrepresenting you, just say, I think that's a misrepresentation or you're misunderstanding me. But because there was less, uh, you could tell they weren't so interested in listening to each other. Like there's a, mo a moment in, in the debate where Sean goes, oh, that's what you're saying. It's toward the end of the, of the open discussion. And then they're like, oh, well, finally, we're gonna get into this. And I was like, it's time. But if you take the time to ask questions, to just get clarification, you probably could have gotten to a more fruitful discussion sooner and right. avoided the, the petty back and forth um, and the, the, the pedantic little jabs. It just, you, know, you, know what I, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah, it really, I, I think people misunderstand the purpose of the question period, right? Uh, a lot of people treat the question period like this is your, your chance to try and get a gotcha moment within three questions. Uh, when the wisest thing to do with that period is to try and learn more about your opponent's position so that you, and I always quote Jordan Peterson when I say this, but like the point is that you should be able to repeat their position to them in such a way that they agree with it and say, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because now you know that you understand them and can adequately attack that position. Right. Which is why there's an opening statement. And then there's a rebuttal to the opening statements. Like this is, I think this is wrong. I think this is wrong. Okay. Now we have cross-examinations for you to ask your clarification questions because now that you've heard your position attacked, now you can ask your clarification. Once you get to the cross-examination, then we get to open dialogue. You guys can actually have a very good, solid back and forth. And now sometimes you can use the question time to get a gotcha, but that's usually if you're asking questions that are relevant, right? You should be asking questions for clarification. Okay, now based on your answers, if this is what you mean here and this is what you mean here, is that correct? Yes. Then how do you justify this? And that could be your gotcha moment and also be your clarification moment, right? Yes. That could serve as either one. 
So uh, when you're just kind of fleshing out these debates a little bit, you can, you can start seeing that where some of the holes are. And, the, and by the way, none of us are perfect. We're all going to screw up in debates. I'm not going to be perfect. Like there's d debates where I'm like, yep, I definitely did well on that one. And there's that, well, others I'm like, yeah, kind of swung and miss on that. Uh, in fact, uh, you've, you've been on our channel for two different debates. Your first one uh, is baptism required for salvation. You were like, yeah, that wasn't a very good debate. I didn't perform very well I, in that. I did not like the way I performed in that one. <laughs> you just, you like said it like right away. Like you're like, yeah, not my best. And then the Torah debate came up and you and Seamus were like, Gatling guns. <laughs> and I was like, dang, like this is like, you could tell the difference. And that's also the thing. There's differences in wheelhouse. And you might feel like you've studied something for a while until you realize that, ooh, I actually haven't studied this as well as I thought. That's a deeper well than I thought it was. Yep, yep, hello. Uh, and that's when you just go, and this is when you want to also talk about credibility as uh, an interlocutor, just go, you know what? I actually haven't looked into that very well. So, or I don't know that part very much. I want to say this because of this reason but I'm actually not exactly sure. So as of right now, I'm not, uh, I'll just say, I think this is my opinion on the matter, but I'm not sure yet. Right. Your, it, go ahead. It's never a bad thing to say, look, I can't speak to that. Uh, my initial response would probably be something to the nature of X, uh, but I'll probably have to get back to you on that. Right, exactly. The people go, okay, moving on. Because I mean, I, no one expects you to know everything anyway, right? Like so, and that's why you. Uh, some people they change, they avoid that type of situation by just being on the attack the entire time. Uh, well, there are some debaters who are only looking for gotcha moments. Right. It's it's not really about having an edifying conversation or changing people's minds, which you know, and and to that, most people accept that you're not going to change your interlocutor's mind in a debate anyway. Correct. So, you know, why not just look for gotcha moments? But, you know, uh, I think it's always worth trying uh, in, in some little way, at least making an effort to have a, a decent conversation. But if all you're looking for is gotcha moments, it it limits how edifying the conversation can be. Right, exactly. And uh, and that's why I think uh, having a non-hostile debate is the best. But, I mean, there are probably times where search and destroy is necessary, right? There are definitely times where it's like, okay, you're acting this way. I've been playing nice with you, but now the gloves are coming off. And right. um, I, I definitely think that we kind of saw a moment uh, where that happened in the debate. And that's why I said, like, you know, I didn't have a dog in this fight with Sean or Courtney. Um, they've both been very polite to me. And uh, I just think that there are some major swings and misses. But at the same time, I think it did. Like, I, I actually got a lot of positive feedback from my audience. And it was funny because uh, I wasn't sure if I would, because I was like, ah, that kind of got really, really petty. But it was funny because we had done so much discussion throughout the channel uh, that the audience was like, hey, I actually really appreciated that because it showed me where my holes were a little bit. And then, or I also started noticing where other people's presu uh, presuppositions were coming into the debate. And I started to see where they were missing each other. And that's what I started noticing because really what was happening here, not only were we more concerned with Sean's position than we were with PSA, but there was a lot of talking past each other because there's presupposed definitions in certain areas. Uh, like the sacrificial system never got properly fleshed out. Other things weren't properly fleshed out enough to even have a real good debate on the topic. It, that's why I think it, it devolved into the spat toward the end that it did. Yes. Yes. I 100% I, I agree. Um, 
But no, yeah, and, and I, I definitely can agree. Having having watched the uh, the the path that your channel has taken, and and by the way, I've referenced a lot of people to it when they ask me about this particular topic because I'm like, look, they have got a lot of work invested into explaining <laughs> this topic. So rather than write you a book here and now, he's writing one. <laughs> <laughs> Very go, fair. Go check him out. I uh, um, now I will say this though, because uh, I know that the the Torah observant community is very split on the nature of the Trinity and all that. Like uh, Christology is a big debate in that world. Uh, it's actually kind of fascinating for me as like a, a paleo Orthodox Christian. Like I kind of peek my head over once in a while. I'm like, wow, that got crazy over there. Then I put my head back. <laughs> like, wow, that one was that was a weird position. But look uh, at him go. Yeah, it's literally me. I'm just like, wow, you know this. Uh, so my book though is coming from now. Just so everyone's aware of your with your people. Now it's going. It deals a lot with the sacrificial system. It kind of fleshes a lot of that out. But it does come from the angle of Jesus uh, being the incarnation. So I I do take an incarnation route here. But I do think that even those who um, would quibble about my Christology will find a good portion of that book edifying still. So right. Anyway, I just want to make sure I clarify that since you send people my way. Uh, heads up, Torah community. That's where I'm at. <laughs> right. Don't come and screaming at me in the comments. I had recently a guy in the comments section be like, you, so you teach the Trinity heresy? I was like, oh, great. Okay, well, we got we got some spillover in the bucket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, unfortunately, that's another that's another habit that has to be broken in uh, in the Torah community. Uh, we've, we've, we've got a laundry list of our own problems, but the, I would say the number one biggest one, um, is this idea that if anybody accepts any doctrine that I don't agree with, then nothing that they have to say has value. <laughs> and it's like, no guys, like you can be right about more than one thing, which, you know, at, at the root of this really is, is a lot of their position on Orthodox Judaism, right? It's, it's, it's the Torah community by and large, still, as a majority, writes off Orthodox Judaism and any opinions that they have on anything uh, because of this same argument. It's 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 this, well, they didn't accept that uh, Jesus was the Messiah, so they're wrong about everything. And it's like, guys, we've got to we've got to get over that right there. There are some very smart Trinitarians who accept the idea that Jesus is the incarnation and they have a lot of great things to say about baptism substitutionary atonement uh, eschatology like these are all different subjects and Who's that's that probably awesome? my favorite it's my favorite thing to say to people right is when they're like well well you know they believe in the trinity or the jews don't believe that jesus is the messiah and i just go yeah but that's just one subject <laughs> well that's i've had, definitely had that I'm like well the genetic understanding is blah 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 that the people are like well they don't believe messiah I'm like okay so they got, you know, I'm obviously a Christian. So I'm like, I think that Yeshua is Messiah. So, so I think they're wrong in that area. It doesn't mean that don't throw the baby out with the bathwater here, folks. Like, you know, and, uh, who's that author who wrote, um, Paul, the letter writer who Sh Seamus, uh, Tim, uh, Hague. Tim, Tim Hague, the letter writer. Yeah. 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 And, uh, it's funny. Cause like even Seamus is like, yeah, I don't agree with everything with that guy, but I wouldn't want to debate him. <laughs> like, oh yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a Trinitarian, but I wouldn't want to debate him. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, the, the mudslinging that's already happened in the comments already. Like, oh, they believe this and this and this. And I'm like, all right, I'm not here to argue Christology. I actually told them that Christology will not be 
will not be a, a part of the debate. That's not a subject in the debate. I don't want to get into it with the debate because um, for those who don't know, I am a, I, I serve as in ministry at churches and I'm a pastor. And so for me personally, I'm like, look, it, you know, like I get enough flack for just being friendly to my to Torah keeper, uh, keeping community alone. I'm like over here, like, can we at least like keep it easy on this area? Because this is like an, a landmine. Like, and even in, in the Christian circles, you get into that topic and it can get very hairy, very quickly. There's a reason why there's that hilarious video that everyone quotes, you know, that's modalism, Patrick, because literally even Christians get themselves all sorts of tied up in knots on the topic. So it's just, yep. I eventually I could do a Christology debate, but it has to be a dedicated Christology debate. And that's, that's right. Um, that being said, actually, uh, just to draw this back to the debate here real quick, uh, that is something that Sean said. Now, Courtney denied it, but as I view, as, as watching the debate, he said, maybe our views on eschatology have something to do uh, with our interpretations here, something to that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more or less true, right? You, if, 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 you, if you view eschatology in terms of us not receiving physical bodies that are perfected bodies uh, and us being purely spiritual beings then one view would take precedence over the other. Like your, your, how you view eschatology is inherently going to affect the way that you understand either Sean's or Courtney's position. Correct. And, uh, and actually like that's my eschatology shifted. Once I, I shifted my understanding of the atonement, I realized like, Oh wait, Oh, so that doesn't, none of that other stuff makes sense then in this framework. Or what I really happened for me was I started seeing the parallels are actually being drawn and I'm like, Oh, this is really talking about the new kingdom. This is talking about, restored creation this is talking about restored bodies the first fruits of resurrection of in a glor in your glorified body and it's not talking about a spirit <laughs> it's talking right. about physical resurrections that we're all going to partake of so um anyway i find it really I've, it's been fascinating it's a fun it's a fun conversation it's a fun it was a fun debate um but it was definitely uh it was it, it was passionate that's a good word for it that yeah very good word for it it got very passionate um and it, it, you know, it calmed down towards the end, I will it say. It did. Uh, and it they, seemed like it, they parted as friends at the end. Right, right. Or at least peacefully and on good terms. And and I was I was happy to see that, actually. I was happy to see that, okay, so, like, you know, they could, they could get a little rough with one another and then calm down at the end and be like, all right, we're cool, you know? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, that, that shows a level of maturity on both of their parts that is admirable. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so I did appreciate that. There's a lot of things I appreciate about the debate. I, I actually wrote a couple of notes down for, I was like, oh, I should probably address that in my book. That's really good. Um, so not all of it was bad. I'm just letting you know my personal critiques and my thoughts uh, as they were going through it, because the areas that were good, I think were, are very obvious. And I think the parts that might not have been so obvious, like somebody, I actually had people go like, I, this, I had a, a young guy text me uh, who goes to my church, like, I listened to that debate. And I got to say, like, I feel like there's certain something's wrong here, but I can't put my finger on it. And so I hope I we were able to help show you where maybe some of those things happened. And uh, perhaps I'm wrong. Like I may have uh, misquoted something here. I might have not caught a detail. Um, and if so, then feel free to let me know. I, I'd be happy to redact any statement that is unfactual. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, for so for everybody watching, I'll go ahead and close it out here now. Um, Definitely go and subscribe to and watch uh, the content that Will's channel has, The Church Split. They've got a, amazing content, especially on this topic. 
Uh, they've put a lot of time and effort into studying, researching, and presenting a concise and well-rounded view on this topic. Uh, so I highly recommend it. I've been following all of the videos they've been putting out on it, and they've all been spectacular so far. Uh, so I only expect that to continue because, you know, Will is just an awesome guy. Right back at you. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm going to recommend anyone to heretics, it'll be you guys. <laughs> we appreciate that. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know me, by the way, that's like a running gag on our channel. Like, uh, Brian opens up with what's up heretics. So it's, I'm not actually like yelling at anybody. So, yep. Yep. <laughs> Make <it> sure. <laughs> oh, but that being said, uh, guys, I probably won't be doing an after part as tonight because it's already late and I do have work early tomorrow. Uh, but uh, definitely catch us. Uh, I think the next topic that Seamus and I will be discussing is Kabbalah. We'll be doing an introduction to like just generically what that is and what it's about. Uh, so it'll be a fun time and cool topic. Um, again, he's moving a lot. He's moving. He's got a lot going on. Not sure exactly when that'll drop, but possibly this Sunday. We'll see. Uh, that being said, hope you all have a wonderful night. Will, my friend, L'chaim. L'chaim.